everyone. Welcome back to Birdcast, the only podcast recorded inside a live Avery. Today we're here with Maxine and Spencer, two of the Save Sunrise Glossies team. They're a team who works hard to save their local glossy black cockatoos in the grass tree court in Queensland. I just want to talk about a bit about balancing nature and it's very difficult to balance nature and sort of regular humans and such and also we're talking a bit about black glossy cockatoos from their area let's get into it well thank you for coming on welcome to the podcast would you like to introduce yourself just to the audience to start with yep hi i'm spencer and i'm 10 years old yep and i'm mummy um old maxine and um i'm spencer's mum and we live on the Sunshine Coast, yeah, which is near the area that we're living in, and beautiful place it's in Queensland where we are as well, and it's a pretty beach, sort of coastal, so it's um, quite a uh, nice beach life, isn't it, Spencer? And we've got a lot of uh, wildlife around us, we're surrounded by national parks, and it's a really beautiful place, and we're actually a biosphere, so we're it's near the biosphere that we live in. So it's all about really protecting the wildlife and man and wildlife living as one rather than one dominating over the other. So it's just a really beautiful place to live. And yeah, we do a lot of things outdoors as well, don't we? Especially we love doing all your walking and things like that. Yeah, so that's where we live. Cool. Um, and you just want to explain to us quickly sort of how you came to know your um, local black cockatoos? Do you want him to tell you what the glossy black cockatoos are so people know what they yeah, are? Yeah, sure, if he wants to do that to start with. Okay. All right, do you want to do that? So, glossy black cockatoos are smaller than yellow-tailed and red-tailed black cockatoos. So, glossy, the male is brownish-black all over. Apart from he's got four red tail panels. And then the female has yellow patterns on her head, which vary between every single female glossy black or two. And then the juvenile, the juvenile females have got yellow, and then they've got all pin feathers, and they've got stars in their tail. And the male has bars in their tails and they've got pin feathers but they don't have any yellow on their head. That's the juvenile, so since you're talking about the juvenile male then. Okay. We, we do birding, so Spencer has always loved wildlife and we've always done lots of walks and taken photographs with phones and things like that to identify all the different wildlife around us, even plants, everything, fungi, you name it, he photographs it. and. We wanted to go to some wildlife talks and there was a group called Mesa Parks Association. So a birding group that met and we'd go for a birding walk. So um, Spencer loved his birds already and, you know, always spotting birds and looking at birds and all that kind of thing as well. We thought, well, we'll go and join them and see what it's like. And so we did and that sort of, we got introduced to Glossy Bob Carey and he said, come and see the birds drink the glossy black cockatoos on an evening. So that's what we did. That's when we first sort of had more contact with the birds. But when Spencer was very young, 
he used to see them, but I actually didn't know until probably a year ago. That would have been when he was probably two. He kept telling me uh, where we used to go for a story time uh, when he was really little. They would sit in the tree and they would feed and there was a bee tree, but of course I knew nothing about these birds, even though they live in our area, not everybody knows about them. So they used to feed in the tree and the kids were sort of um, out having the little morning tea and everything and he used to see these birds and I had no idea because he used to tell me about these black birds and they had yellow on them and a bit of orange and red and all this kind of thing and of course I never saw them and I, I really didn't sort of have a clue that I thought he was just making a little story up. Anyway, he used to see them all over the place and he used to go, Mom, there's the black birds, black birds and I'd be like, never being able to see them because they actually camouflage really well in the Alakashirin and Littoralis trees. Then just recently we were actually going past the church where he used to go for the story time and he went, that's the tree, Mum, they used to um, feed in it. That was where I used to tell you, Mum, I used to see them. And then it clicked to me, I finally realised that he actually had seen those birds all that time and I just hadn't, you know, I never saw them because, you know, I didn't realise they were there because they don't really make any noise or anything when they're in the trees when they're feeding. So if you don't know the noise to listen to uh, when they're feeding, which is just like the, they're crunching the seeds, so that you just hear this like, it's almost like popcorn, something popcorn or something like that, that's the kind of noise it makes. Unless you know that noise, you've got no idea they're there. So, of course, I just was making up a story, but it turns out he wasn't. So, and do you, you remember going to the watching hole the first time when you, yeah, so you tell them about that. What did you think when you first saw them at the watching hole properly? Because that's probably our first um, seeing them properly um, and because they come down to drink on an evening, so that way you can actually get to see the birds, you actually um, get to see them and hear them. How long do you think, you, have you lived in Sunshine Coast. Spencer's lived here all his life, so he's born and bred uh, Noosa Boy, <laughs> and we've lived here on and off. We've got we had family here and things like that, so probably yeah, 20, 20 years. You think? Yeah, something like that. I think yeah, something like that. Yeah. Who is Glossy Bob Carey? When they discovered the glossy black cockatoos in Noosa. They were discovered in the mid-90s and that was by a lady called Isabel Pert who actually turned 90 this year and I've got to know Isabel through this birding group that we're in as well and it's about to turn 80 this year so um, they've been doing this for over 25 years, both of those. So Isabel saw the glossy black cockatoos for the first time and she knew the red tails and uh, she thought they looked different. There was something about them that was different. So she sort of kept looking at these birds and she couldn't quite work out what they were. And then she uh, contacted through the birding group, I think they contacted somebody um, that came up. I think it was Mike Ogden from memory, but I could be not correct there, but I think it was. Um, and he came up, I think he was in Brisbane or somewhere like that. And he came up with the role and truly before our time. And he came up and confirmed that they were indeed the glossy black cockatoos. And so that's when they were really discovered in our area. And um, from that sort of time onwards, everybody in the birding group was very attuned to these birds and keeping an eye out on, um, for them. And there used to be a place um, called Pinaru Park, which still exists. And the glossy black cockatoos used to drink there. 
and um, they had plenty of feed trees around and it was before there was a lot of development so they were religiously they'd be able to see the birds there in um, Peoria Park in a watering hole there and um, slowly but surely unfortunately um, the birds were um, they moved on because all the habitat was developed and that sort of uh, highly um, you know lots and lots of people and houses in that area now so not many trees left so the the habitat became so fragmented that literally it's, it's pretty well non-existent there's a few trees in people's homes and things like that there's a few patches but the patches aren't enough really to keep the birds there because they want to have the watering hole they want to have the food source they want to have the place where they roost so they have to have those sorts of things close by to where they feed as well they used to like to say observe them there and Isabel and Bob um, tracked them everywhere they possibly could to find out where they were drinking and all the different places they'd go and the trees as well and um, yes yeah, so Isabel and Bob and also there's another gentleman called Tim Lennon as well he got involved with um, the Gosses at Cockatoos probably more oh, I've been around for quite some time so probably maybe uh, Maybe 15 years, I'm not 100% sure how long Tim's been doing it for, but certainly while we've been around, which isn't as long as that, only three years we've been, or since we've been observing the birds and we've been involved. But prior to that, they were sort of um, the main people involved. Everybody loves coffee basically in our area because they're such a rare bird um, and we don't know much about them, so it's really important for us to learn as much as possible. So that's why I suppose there's... Um, people like us and Bob, they're pretty well every night, making sure they're okay and um, just learning more about them. When we see them come down for a drink, we can identify them, we can take photographs, which Tim Lennon taught our sense how to do. So he takes photos of them so he can ID them. And to ID them, uh, or the best way to ID them, it's the females. You can't really, it's hard to ID their males because there's no distinguishing marks on their head. The only thing you can tell is the age really of the males through their tail feathers. But the females, we think, from what we've seen in the last three years, we don't think their yellow stays the same, stays the same. But we don't know that 100%. But we think, um, so far, the first three years, we know that Fletcher's parents, so far, the, the female, the mum, her markings are still the same as they were when Spencer first photographed that pair. And um, the only thing that's changed for her is really her tail feathers. She's still got a few pin feathers, but she probably had a few more when we first saw her, which means that she must have been a younger bird as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and sort of what's, what's their habitat look like, the Glossy's habitat? Is it, what do they sort of eat and do they make a particular nest? They feed on Alcacharini Ralus, so that's what we're trying to protect. So it's the Alcacharini Ralus forest, which is black she oak. So that's what they feed on, and they, so when they nest, they nest in the hollow of big, they have to be. 300 years plus to be nesting hollows. So there's got a, not many trees around really to nest in. 
so that's also we do know they are nesting because we have seen quite a lot of juveniles this year so they are breeding that's not the problem it's the feeding habitat so once the feeding habitat goes then they can't bring their juveniles there and they can't feed in the trees and they'll go extinct probably from our area so yeah, so you need the male and the female trees to produce fruit. So the male has four, and that four then has to pollinate the female flowers. So the male tree has to pollinate the female flowers, which then produce the fruit which the gobblebacks will eat. Fruit, inside the fruit is little tiny seeds and the gossies eat the seeds inside the fruit. So even though Alicasherine literalis or black sheoak is seed trees, they have favoured seed trees. So they only feed on certain trees. So if there's one tree that looks really good and another tree that doesn't look so good, they could feed on the they'll probably pick the one that doesn't look so good and hasn't got many fruits on it. So, they're very fussy eaters. Basically, the Alicasherina literalis is what they eat, and those trees, the better tree are the more mature trees, so uh, the more mature the tree is, the more nutrients that are in the actual cones, which is the seed that they eat out of the cone, and is that correct? Have I got that correct? The fruit, sorry, sorry, fruit. And um, so if you've got sort of, say, 10 trees, they might only choose one tree. And that's their favourite seed tree. So to us, we think, why aren't they eating all the other ones? Because they're full of cones and we can't understand why they just choose one of those trees out of all of the trees. And nobody knows, the scientists don't know, nobody's been up to work out why. And they also are not just fussy eaters, they also come back to those same trees as well. So it can be 12 months to two years, they'll come back to those trees to feed on. So once they've decided it's a feed tree, you'll know that they'll be coming back. But like I said, it could be one to two years before they come back. And possibly in the wild, we don't really know, it could be even longer between um, times when they feed. You know, it's still so much of it is unknown. And that's why their forests and they have these stands of trees are so important because they've actually got a lot of favoured seed trees in the particular forest that we've been trying to protect. And you know that where those favoured seed trees are, the new seed trees will grow from the favoured seed trees so and be more likely to be um, favoured seed trees of the future as well. So. Um, they're a very complex bird. They're not like other birds that, um, you know, will eat lots of different seeds and things like that. Um, yeah, so that's why there's probably lots of lot of habitat and that's all um, in their territory right throughout um, the areas of where um, they are in. And down in South Australia, they actually used to be on the mainland and they lost their habitat and the birds went extinct. So we know that this is a real... You know, it's not something where thinking could happen. We know it has happened, it's been seen, and as we
Yeah, it definitely sounds like this tree is very extremely important for the Glossies. How long have you been following the Glossy flock that you follow? Three years. Yes. Wow, that's that's a long time. Have you followed any other flocks, or is it just this one? Just this one mainly. Okay. Yeah, but what's happening at the moment? So we haven't followed the other flocks, but we um, see some of the birds out of the other flocks and tell them what's happening at the moment. What are we? So doing? now we've got birds that are coming from all over the place, from different flocks, coming to feed on this site they want to develop. So that's why it's really important because they're coming out of fire affected areas, etc. Yeah. So um, at the moment we've got a flock of this. Seeming to vary from, I think it's the same flock, it's hard to know um, because it's really hard to get ID shots because if you go into like close um, to them in the tricky then you're going to be disturbing them and they're not fly out of the trees, which means they're not feeding properly. So we really don't want people to be going up to the birds and trying to get photos and things like that because the best time to actually photograph them is when they're at the watering hole because we can keep a distance and we can get photos of them without disturbing them. Whereas when they're in the tree, um, our local birds are used to us um, and, and photographers. But these other birds that are coming from other areas, they probably aren't quite so used to humans, maybe, we're not sure. They're probably more in the, you know, the sort of um, less uh, populated areas. So we say they're, they're more skittish. Um, you know, as soon as they hear a crunch on the leaf or, or something, they'll just fly out of the tree. So we always sort of try to encourage people not to get too close to the birds because, you know, we really want them to be feeding as much as feed and it's really hard work for them to get all the energy requirements and things like that as well. So, um, yeah, Spencer has managed to get some photos of some of the other flocks and we know we've got birds that are coming from um, an area that's not far from us and um, we know that they come up in the winter. So if any birds that come to the watering hole for the winter time, you can get those photos. So how many how many glosses have you roughly got photographed of do you think to ID them in the twenty-four? Yeah. So about twenty-four he's got photos of. So not everyone's gonna really know a lot that lot about the um glossy. Would you just sort of like to enlighten everyone about sort of what the conservation status of the bird of the bird is and also what their what their homelands are like? So they're listed as vulnerable in Queensland very fragmented so in our area very fragmented through development so obviously we all need someone to live as well um, and over the years because it's wallen habitat it's wallen woodland a lot of those sort of areas along the coast um, we all want to live on the coast of course in the wallen area we've got all the beautiful wildflowers and things like that so we've lost a lot of that beautiful habitat because it was often seen in the past as areas that you know what are we going to do with that it just looks like you know because when the flowers are out it looks beautiful but when they're not not many people appreciate it as much unless it's got the flowers so people sort of you know the attitude was that it's just land that we could yeah develop and of course it's close to the beach so everybody likes to say wants to live on the beach but yeah it, it's become very very fragmented so that's why this stand of trees is so important because it's in an area that they actually part of their home range so it, 
We don't know how big a home range these birds need. We don't know how many, you know, how many trees they need to feed off as well. So that makes it very difficult because um, unless we know those things, we don't know how much we need to protect for them as well. But we do know that they need this particular area because of the favoured feed trees and the, the number of favoured feed trees and the potential for future um, favoured feed trees to be there as well through regrowth. We also know that they drink close by to that site as well um, and they also roost um, near that site as well. So like what happened in Pinaroo Park, that the birds disappeared, the same will happen with development and loss of habitat. And the birds are used to going to people's homes. Um, some people have got the trees that they actually like to eat, the favourite seed trees. So um, they will go into people's gardens and things like that. And it's wonderful because we get all the phone calls and Bob in particular gets the phone calls and then he lets us know. Um, and there's a few of us as well that um, go and try and get photographs of them when we can. Because once they're in a single tree, it's much, much easier to photograph them. But when they're in the forest, it's much, much harder. You're going to disturb them when you're going in there. Whereas when they're in somebody's garden, they're very used to being around people. So they tolerate you. And they'll be up high in the trees anyway. And if, if you're bothering them, they'll just go up higher. How long does it take the tree to basically grow um, to an age for the glossies to sort of feed on the nuts? Once they start fruit because when they're young you don't know if it's male or female and that is an issue for what they're doing for this development they're putting in an offset site um, so what they do is they plant trees and they're all planted at the same time the same age and as they grow you can't tell if they're male or female so when you can tell they're male or female is when they get to seven to eight years old roughly and that's when they get the fruit on and that's how you tell. Once they get the fruit on, you know that they're a female tree because the male doesn't have the fruit. And then everyone believes that it's about 10 years before the birds would go, um, would start to feed on the trees. And so an offset site, obviously, waiting, the birds waiting for 10 years. What are they doing in the meantime? And that's what we've been saying. What are they going to do in the meantime? And nobody's got any answers because they already are utilising their home range, they're already utilising all the trees in their home range. They know exactly which trees they feed on. And if they, they've got like a, a mind map of, of where these trees are and we're watching it with Fledge, the parents are taking them around and showing him the trees that they feed on. So he's learning where those trees are. Yeah, so it's quite amazing to watch him actually because we know where they feed and now he's going to those trees and yeah, so we look forward to watching him over the years and and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the males because we don't know, do they go to another area because obviously for reproductive uh, sort of side of things, the males we can't be identified. Um, so once he leaves his parents, it's going to be probably harder for us to know which, which male he is. But we hope not. I think they know who we are, though, more so than we know who we know who the males are. But with the males, when they're single males, um, they tend to sort of stay together more and probably disperse out into other areas. And that's the other thing with this site that we're trying to protect. This is when the birds all come from those other areas. So you're getting that 
sort of genes, you know, getting all the um, genetics <laughs> pooling into that area from all the different areas. So we believe that there could be a significance of the area for breeding purposes as well. This might be when um, they're feeding possibly in the grounds and, and the watering and going to the watering sites and things. That's when, you know, they're finding their mates, their new mates. We don't know that easy would it be for the average gardener to sort of grow one of these these trees in, in sort of their property? Well, we've tried <laughs> and failed. Um, well, I don't know. And Spencer's got pretty green thumbs, but I think that's the issue really because it depends. I mean, there must it's something to do with the soil there and things like that. I mean, we have them growing around us um, naturally and ours was in a pot and yeah, so we probably, you know, maybe did something wrong. <laughs> probably, I don't know what we, maybe we just didn't order enough. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what went wrong, but it, it did die. So, but look, people do grow them, but it doesn't mean that they'll end up being a favoured feed tree. Or as well, you don't know if you've got a male when it's like a little seedling. You've got no idea if it's male or female, like I say, till they fruit. So, well, I when they get flowers, you'll soon know it's a female because they have beautiful little pink flowers on them. Um, and then obviously, that, then they fruit after that, after they're pollinated. But um, yeah, it's a lot of people grow them. And we actually have a friend that she didn't know they were um, back when her kids were younger, so probably 15 or more years ago now. Um, and they had a glossy black bee tree and they had no idea because they didn't know anything about the glossy blacks at that point in time. And she cut the tree down and she said, I feel so bad now, now I know about the glossies. But the reason she cut it down, and this is why a lot of people cut them down many, many years ago because people didn't know that they're actually bee trees for the birds and they wanted they want their trees around because the actual fruit is really sharp. So on little people's feet when they're in the garden, um, and that's why she did it because the kids kept going, you know, walking on these feet and so, you know, she just didn't realise um, what, you know, it, it could have been a feature we don't know because she didn't have it around, um, you know, to find out. But, um, yeah, they're beautiful trees. You really have to know what you're getting them for because um, they do drop the needles and they do drop the seeds. But most people are happy, you know, we all know about the something like cockatoos now, so... The joy of having those birds in your garden is far out. What is in the tree? So everybody absolutely loves the coffee that coffee's in our area. They really love them, yeah. I've, I've read and I've, I've sort of heard about that. Your own flock, your own flock of glossies is sort of having real battles in their own patch of, um, of territory. So if, what, what do you think you can tell us about this situation? The United Church of Australia, Queensland Synod, um, they own the land. At, um, in, in our area and um, the site and it's five hectare site it's a um, what we call an Arcasharina forest or a wall of woodland so it also has other um, trees um, in there as well it, um, that feed other birds as well but it's predominantly the Arcasharina literalis which is the Cossibat food, food tree and five hectares in a prime spot where goats need to be, um, you know, um, it's part of their home range. 
So it's really important that we keep these trees, and that's what we're trying to um, get the United Church to understand because they have had um, ecological studies done. They have also got the approvals from council as well, but this was all done a long time ago. So this land was actually sold back in 2008 and the um, approvals were um, completed by 2011 and the ecological report was done back in 2008 and it was done at a time of year that the Gothies, it's like the um, low time of the Gothies um, being in, on that site and all of the ecological studies have actually been done when it's low use time. So this site, in the winter, autumn time, that's when the glossies, right now, that's when the glossies are here um, in the large numbers. And we're really only just starting to understand, you know, that they're coming from different areas. We knew they were, but we're sort of understanding it more now because obviously our attention, normally we're at the watering holes and we're monitoring the watering holes because that's the best spot to count the birds because they're, you know, in the trees and we watch them physically have a drink and that's how we count them. Normally they only have one drink, they don't come back with the full. So it's the best way that we can actually monitor how many we've got. It's the best time to get our ID shots as well. So that's where we normally are monitoring them. And then you'll see them in trees and things like that. And we know from the orbs, which is the leftovers of the um, cones, fall to the ground and it's called orbs. So we see those on the ground and we know that the glossies have been there. Yes, yeah, so when the glossies first feed on the trees and the orcs fall down to the leftover cones, they're a whitish green colour and then with age they turn to more of a red brown and then eventually when they get quite old they'll turn into grey colour. Yeah, so that's how you monitor where the birds are. You can tell where the birds are and you can also, um, you know, you obviously you know it's a favourite street tree then as well. And um, it, in this site, like we say, it, there's a lot of trees on the site that are favourite sea trees. You know, more forest situation, um, you know, it's much harder, harder to know where they are. So the only way you can really see is from the orts because often they're in there and you've not got a clue. So what we have to do now is go there, instead of going to the drinking hole, we go there and we try and get someone else up at the drinking hole. So we go there and we're actually watching them come out of the trees because we don't want to disturb them, like I say, because if we're going in, you know, we'd be disturbing them. So we just stand there and we watch them and, and they'll call them and we know they're there. We can see their sort of um, the feeding. And we also can hear they do like little contact calls as well, especially if they're um, sort of getting ready to take off and go and go for their drink. They'll make little contact calls to each other and then they'll get a bit louder and then they progress to the louder noise and then one will go, right, I'm off for drinks. Is anyone else coming? It's almost like that. And they raise up and then when they flock, all the birds come and they'll circle around until they all come and then they'll fly up to wherever they're going. So that's what we've been getting at the moment, and that's what we get at this time of year. Normally they flock, and they go off to wherever they're going. Um, so even our, our birds will flock into their flock and go to a, you know go wherever they're going to roost or whatever it is. So that's the best chance of 
watching where these other birds are going because normally we're at the water hole, we can't see them coming in from the trees from the um, because where the watering hole is, it's close to where they feed as well. So we've always known where they've come from, we've seen them, but we've not been doing what we're doing now, which is going the other other part away from the drinking hole and we're actually watching them, what direction they're going because where we're standing, we can actually see sort of, um, you know, are they going eastward, are they going westward, the direction, and then um, some of us are going further down if we've got enough people. Um, somebody will go down to where the wallum is and then we can see that they're going over towards uh, you know, a certain area because we know some of the areas that they come from but it just confirms where they sort of what direction they're coming from or going to and how many birds so that's, you know, that's really we're doing that this year it's more intense because we really do need to know what's going on and the areas like Fences before they're in areas that are, um, have been affected by the fire. So up here um, in 2019 we had, and 2020, um, which everyone suffered with the same um, terrible fires, and we also did. And it basically really surrounded our whole area where we did. So it took out a lot of trees, and with Alakashirin and Uralis, if they get really... Um, Badly burnt, and it's a, it's a uh, well, I'm just asking this story. It's a, it's a spark. It's a tree split and flying over the fire. Yeah, so did you hear that? So yeah. it's a tree split, the fire goes in, and the whole tree's dead. So, um, yeah, we, we've lost a lot of habitat from that as well, and that's what we're concerned about as well. In those areas, if those birds have lost a lot of habitat, because we've never really monitored how many of those birds are coming over into into this area, you know, we really don't know. There could be more birds coming over from that area. You know, it's really hard for us to know. So it's really important that we, another reason for us to keep, you know, for this area to be preserved because it might be, you know, why would those birds come over here? They're, you know, they're used to coming over here. So they know exactly where to come. So... You know, we just really don't know how significant this site is for them to come anyway. And then if they've lost feeding area, this area might be even more important for feeding-wise because they know these trees, they know they can get food here, so they'll come and eat here. So, if they're, you know, it's not like they're just cruising around and, oh, there's a nice tree, I'll go down and eat that. They actually know that these trees are here, so that's why they're very definite the way they're flying and they're flying in a flock. So we know that they've been here before. We know that these will part, these form part of their home range as well. So it's a real point where multiple flocks um, sort of cross over, their paths cross over, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I think that's sort of why we're really trying to protect it because there's so many things that we need to learn about it and we can see that it's a really important feeding site and to destroy cactus, um it, even though there's other trees around it, it sort of almost takes the heart out of the area as well. But yes, there will be some trees left. And Spencer also is concerned that once you start, um, and it's already, this whole area has had all of the habitat removed. Um, you know, we've got a swimming pool, um, you know, public pools and things like that. We've got um, tennis courts and all these different things that have taken the habitat out. But a lot of those um, facilities have got some trees. They did lose some habitat in there as well. So, but it's 
slightly said it, it's, it's fragmented. So there's patches. Instead of it being a whole big area, whereas where this five hectares is, it's a really lovely big area for the birds to come and feed. And they like to do that as well. They like to feed in this area all together like that as well. And we've got no idea what the significance of all that is as well. Because, you know, normally you see glossy black cockatoos, you'll see two to three birds. Maybe, um, you know, sometimes you'll see five um, you know, it could be a pair and then uh, parents with a juvenile, a trio. Um, six maybe, there's two. Normally the juveniles don't hang out together, but occasionally we have seen them hanging out with, you know, the families. Um, and, yeah, so normally it's um, two to three birds would be your normal sort of what you see. But at this time of year, this is when we see that larger flock um, coming in to feed and then they fly back out to where they're going to roost as well. So, yeah, that, that's why we've got to protect the area because it's the last really um, land of these trees and we know that they must breed very closely as well because they bring their juveniles there. So it's, it's a really significant site for that as well. If you could ask people who, who have glossies in their area, sort of one thing that they could do to sort of help the... Um, the cockatoos, what, 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 what one thing would you ask them? I think habitat protection, we need to protect their habitat. And when we say their habitat, it's their seed trees, it's their roosting trees, it's their nesting sites, it's their watering holes. You know, they need these, these this habitat, they need these things to be able to survive. They need these things, you know, with the water holes, they need the taller trees near the water holes. They like to sit up and look down and make sure there's no danger and then they come down because once they're on the ground that's when they're the most vulnerable for predators. We just really need to make sure those trees don't get cut down because they, they really do need those tall trees because they use those tall trees to, like you said, roost at night and roosting means that's where they go to sleep at night and they also use those trees, like all birds, they need those trees for, um, you know, they'll, they'll get on the top of the tree and they'll call out and things like that to each other and um, so you know birds do need their trees and I think that's something that we all really do need to protect as many trees as we possibly can whether they be seed trees or just our big tall trees um, and our old trees because that's where the nesting you know you get your hollows there's so many of our birds are being affected by not having the habitat they need to reproduce um, and also feed from as well so Sort of, how do you want people to make contact with you? Do you have a um, an Instagram or a Facebook or something like that? Yep, yep. Um, we've got Save Sunrise Glossies, and that's the Instagram. As far as Facebook page, um, it'd be the same as well. Um, Save Sunrise Glossies. Um, for we do have a Facebook page, but we haven't really sort of. We've just basically with all of this. Um, petition and trying to save the glossy habitat. We've sort of just come into this world of Facebook and, and also Instagram, so it's all new to us. Um, and we also belong to a group um, called um, Glossy Team Sunrise, so that would be the other Facebook page that people could see um, a lot more of the history and stuff on as well. And um, there's, um, you know, Bob 
Terry is involved with that and we've got Desiree and um, Desiree Garson and um, Bettina Walters and um, many, many other people that um, are part of Glossy Team Sunrise and we, we are part of Glossy Team Sunrise as well and we've all been trying to save this habitat for the last uh, over two years now and also you can email save Sunrise Glossy and that is um, at gmail.com and if people would like to, we've got a petition to try and save the habitat at um, where we live and the petition is um, www.change.org and then slash save our glossy and if you go onto that it'll take you onto Spencer's petition which is help Spencer's of the church save our glossies and um, that's what it's all about. It's all about saving that five hectare forest of our Sharina Littoralis so that we'll know that the glossies will still be here for the children now, the children in the future as well. I, I'm Christian so I believe that we all should be protecting um, God's creatures and creation and I think that um, you know that's what we expect with our churches as well. Um, they've taught us this and um, we would expect that they would uphold those same sort of principles as they've taught us. And, yeah, so we'd really, really put a, a huge um, appeal out to the United Church of Queensland. Please hear our voices. Please hear our community. About your petition, how would me signing it help the Sunrise Glossies? And what do you want your petition to do? We've got almost 40,000 people signed a petition. Um, I think that speaks volume and it's not just from our local area, it's from around the world and the more people that sign it, um, the more stronger this sort of, it's not just about this, it's also I think showing the world, showing the government of our world that actually we want habitat to be protected, we don't want this to keep happening because it's not fair to our wildlife and it's not fair to the future generation and yeah, that's what it's really all about. It's not just about the five little hectares. It's actually about much, much more. And I think it's a worldwide um, sort of, you know, effort. I think we should sort of all get behind it. If, if people can, would really appreciate that because I think we could make this something pretty special that we could actually show the world that, hey, a 10-year-old boy, and with a lot of adults too and a lot of help and a lot of other kids too, um, you know, if we can do this, you can all do it too and let's do it together and let's do it with our churches because they're all standing up for um, enough. We've got to do something about things. We've got to change our ways and this would be a, an amazing thing for um, the Uniting Church to do and all churches to do the same sorts of things to, um, you know, light globes and um, solar panels. That's great. All those things are great. But if we actually stop chopping down our trees, I think more significant in so many ways. Petition is to get the Uniting Church to come to our council because our council has given approval to this development, but it was a long time ago and things have changed. And now our council are unable to take that away from the Uniting Church. So we have gone to our council and we've asked our council to please look at this again for us, for our community, because we really do need this habitat saving for our wildlife. And 
we're asking the Uniting Church to actually come to our council and speak to our council. And we really would like to see our council and the Uniting Church come to a better decision, one that we would like to see our council give land to the Uniting Church and the Uniting Church to accept that land and give the land that they own to our council. So it would be a land swap and our council would be able to put that land back into a conservation area or if it can go back into a national park, but it's protected so nobody can build on that land ever again and it's protected for our wildlife. And the Uniting Church is given another piece of land by our council so that the Uniting Church could build the facilities it needs to build on that, which is the, they want a nursing home and it's also residential home as well for the aged population and all retirement village, I should say. So, you know, we're not saying they can't build something. We're not trying to stop that from happening because we understand that there's other needed facilities. But we also know that our wildlife, our glossy back, our vulnerable glossy back really need these trees. It's vital to their survival. We don't want to see them go extinct in our area. So by signing the petition, you're giving our community a voice and you're also getting a voice as well. Because this is not just our issue, it's a global issue. Special birds are such special birds. So I'll, I'll tell you a little story actually before we finish up. Um, when we go shopping, rainy night, and I'm coming out with the umbrella up, um, Benson sat in the car with his dad, and we've been seeing um, this particular male glossy sort of on and off in the area, and he, he flies out to another area, and we know he flies out that way, we've got no idea why, but he flies out that way, you know, um, quite a lot. And um, anyway, we've been seeing him for weeks on end, and we've forgotten all about him sort of thing this particular night, and it was like the day it had been raining and everything, and I'm walking out, next minute I heard, a glossy and I knew I thought it's got to be our male glossy and Spencer and I um, called out glossy like that like we do and he dipped down <laughs> to us and it was just amazing because they don't normally when they're on a flight path of trying to get somewhere they don't normally sort of um, call and um, they wouldn't normally dip either um, so that was you know that that's the kind of connection that these birds have with us and with Bob and Isabel um, and Tim and people that have been monitoring them for so long. Well, thank you very much for coming on to the uh, podcast and talking about the glossy cockatoos. It's very, very interesting. I learned a lot of new facts. Thank you. Yes, thank you as well. Thank you. Yep. We wish you all the best with your um with your with your cockatoos. Thank you. All right, everyone, we hope you enjoyed the podcast with Maxine and Spencer today. Now, remember, everything that has been mentioned in the podcast will be put down in the show notes. Yeah, remember, we have an Instagram, Birdman underscore Dad, and a YouTube channel, Birdman Dad. And, yeah, we'll see you guys again. Bye.